Thank you. Excuse me. My name is Ron Cole, and I'm one of the pastors here as well. And again, I'd like to welcome all of you here this morning. And again, congratulations to the families with the baptisms. We celebrate that, and thank you for uh, allowing us to celebrate those promises together. Last week, we started a new series, and we said the question that's going to drive us in this series is, is this question, what is God like? If we had to write an essay, if we had to describe what God was like, how, how would we answer that? What would be the words that we would use? And, and, and I think we should recognize that in some ways, I, I think when we ask a question like this, it doesn't feel very practical. I, I think some of us, are, often I kind of sometimes feel like, you know, I, I got all the challenges in my life. I'm just trying to figure out how to pay the bills and raise the kids and, and, and keep, uh, you know, my marriage intact. And I'm trying to do all this stuff. And, and you want to talk about the abstract, who is God question. And it, and it can feel like it's sort of out there. It can feel like it's not necessarily a, a significant kind of current practical question, but, but I think the Bible teaches us, and, and I think this is exactly right, but I think the Bible teaches us that, that knowing God, knowing God is the thing that we most need. More than we need more money, more than we need new friends, more than we need a vacation. What we need is, is to understand God's heart. What we need is to understand who God is. And, 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 and if we do that, if we, if we start to do that, and I really want to challenge you to, to think about this and, and to reflect on this during the 10 weeks of this series, to really reflect on saying, okay, what if I, if I every day just start by remembering who God is? If I start by remembering more about what God has done? If I, if I start by looking at God's heart? I, I think if we do that, we're going to discover that theology, knowing about God is not impractical, but it's the most practical thing we can do. To guide us on our, our study of who God is, we're looking at the prophet Isaiah. He saw the Lord in, in a number of different places, and, and we're looking at what Isaiah has to say to us about it. And we said last week, again, we're going to look at 11 facets of God's character from Isaiah. And, and we compared it to a diamond. And, and, and we said, you know, that God is, God is so full and so beautiful, and there are all these different angles on it, but it's all part of the same diamond. It's all part of the same God. And so last week we talked, if you were here with us, about the holiness of God. And we said that when Isaiah was called in chapter 6, when Isaiah was, was renewed in his call perhaps in, in chapter 6, that, that Isaiah came into God's presence and when he saw the, the absolute perfection of God, the absolute unapproachable light of God, Isaiah just fell flat on his face and, and the seraphim were there and, and these angels who were perfect were hiding their faces and just saying, holy, 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 and God is so pure. God is so holy, God is so other, God is so different from us, that in one sense, all we can do when we come into his presence is just fall on our faces. And, and that holiness of God never gets set aside with all the other ones. It's all part of the same image, and it's all there with all of this together. But this morning, we're going to look at another part of, of who God is. And, and it has much more to do with God's heart and, and about how God looks at you. And about how God looks at me. This is a, an image that comes from Isaiah chapter 5. And before we look at what Isaiah says in there, I want to kind of give you the setting of, what, uh, of, of where Isaiah almost certainly, it's not 100% guaranteed, but it's almost certain that where Isaiah was when he did this was at the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? He, he was at the Feast of, of Tabernacles, uh, one of the major feasts in Israel uh, and in Judah there. And, and in some ways, while it wasn't the perhaps most important, Passover was probably the most important of all the festivals, it was, at least for the kids, the most fun. It, it was among the most enjoyable of them because in, in tabernacles, what you did, it lasted for seven days and seven nights. And what you did in tabernacles is you went out and you all went camping. All right, everybody left their homes. If you could go up to Jerusalem, that was ideal. 
If you could go just celebrate tabernacles or booths in Jerusalem, you'd do that. But otherwise, in your backyard, you'd set up, or in your front yard, you'd set up a, a tent. You'd set up a, a, a stick hut with the palm leaves on top of it. And the reason for this was because it was a reminder of when God led his people out in the, in the desert. You may know that uh, Israel was in Egypt, and, and they were captiv- kept, uh, in captivity there. And, and God brought them out, and then they spent 40 years wandering around the desert. And during that 40 years, they lived in tents. And during that 40 years, God provided for them. God gave them all that they needed. God protected them. They didn't have solid walls. They only had tent walls. And yet God protected them from anything that was challenging them. So once a year, they would take a week and they'd live in tents. And they'd say, you know what? It's not our houses that protect us. It's God who protects us. And and it's God who provides for us. Uh, Tabernacles was also kind of like Thanksgiving, okay? It was kind of like Thanksgiving because it was at the end of the harvest season. And, and it was a time of, of just saying, God, thank you. Thank you for protecting us and thank you for providing for us. And, and so everybody would live out in those tents. And you can see on this one the gourds that are there. Um, one of the major symbols of, of, of tabernacles became grapes. Okay, so everybody's out. They're in together. And, and the other part of tabernacles that kind of plays into this is, is that when God was leading the people of Israel through the desert for those 40 years, at nighttime, he provided them a pillar of fire. And so what they would often do as well is, is this was all about campfires. I mean, this, in so many ways, it's like, it's like camping together. Everybody in the, in the community camps together, and you build a fire. Uh, in, in Jerusalem, at the temple, they would light fires that would burn all through the night for all seven days, 40 feet up on the top of these columns. This is a, a, a depiction of a priest climbing up there. And, 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 and so they would do that, and everybody would gather around. And, and they would laugh, and they would dance, and they would sing, and they would tell stories, and they would praise God, and they would do all of those things. If you couldn't get up to Jerusalem, you'd, you, you'd just go into your own home, and, 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 and your own area, and your own village, and your own town, and, and you'd build a campfire. And, and you'd say, God, you lead us, you guide us, you provide for us, you protect us. And so as you can see, the, the kids would love it, right? Um, adults, when you get older, you learn to hate camping. Um, but kids would, no, I don't hate camping. Actually, the best part of camping for me is, is what, I, what I like about it is just it's hanging out at the fire, right? It, what do you do at the fire? You talk, you laugh, you tell some stories, and you sing some songs. And, and that's the setting, okay? That's the setting for Isaiah chapter 5. It, it's tabernacles, and Isaiah's there. I think he might be in the temple in Jerusalem, but he's there, and everybody's hanging around, and they're telling stories and so on. And Isaiah decides to sing a song. Isaiah decides to sing a song. He says, I will sing for the one I love a song, a song about his vineyard. He's going to sing us a love song, all right, about a, a, a farmer and his vineyard. And it won't take us long to discover it's not just about a farmer and his vineyard. And, and as, as we look at this song, and, and as I describe how, how the farmer does in, and cares for his vineyard, I, I kept thinking this week about my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is a car guy, and, and he absolutely love ca- loves cars, Corvettes especially. And he's got a, I think it's a, I think it's a 93 Corvette. And, and I was there last year. And, and, and this is a car that took him probably four years to restore. He took it apart every piece by every piece. And he didn't do it to show off. He did it because it was a labor of love. He did it because he said, these are the most beautiful cars in the world. And he said, I want to just make this thing exactly right. And, and so he redid everything. He cleaned up everything. And, and what really shocked me or didn't shock me, I don't know, those of you who love cars can understand this. But he said, 
I've never used water to wash this. I said, well, how do you keep it clean? He said, first of all, I never take it out in the rain. I never take it out on a dirt road. I never do anything like that with it. Then he said, here's my wash bottle. And he had a little spray bottle. And he said, I use a rag. And I just go around and I wash it that way. That, that, that's the love that he has. That's the, the passion. He, he loves that car. And it's not an inappropriate thought, oh, he's so materialist. No, he just loves cars. Cars are his thing. Well, the, the Isaiah wants to sing about a farmer. And, 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 and for this farmer, his vineyard is his thing. It is passionate. It, it's not just any vineyard. It's a vineyard on a hillside. The farmer went and he checked every place throughout the land to find the absolute perfect spot. And the soil was, was fertile soil, okay? I I mean, he just checked every place, and he found the absolute perfect place to develop and to grow a vineyard. Again, not because he wanted to show off, or not because he needed those grapes as much as, he just loved it. He just loved it, and he wanted to see grapes do what grapes are supposed to do, and grapevines do what grapevines are supposed to do. And and, and so he went, and he found this perfect piece piece of ground on a a, a fertile hillside. And, and, And then he started to till the soil. And, and he didn't do it with a machine. He did it by hand, just inch by inch. My neighbor across the street, he loves his lawn. And, and, and he spent uh, an entire summer on his front lawn, an entire summer replanting his front lawn. And I will never forget seeing him out there listening usually to the tigers, and he had his shovel, and he would just do it and turn the earth six, you know, six inch wide, and then an inch back, and he'd turn it, and an inch back, and he'd turn it an inch back, and he'd turn it. And he went all the way up and down this way. And then the next month, he went all the way up and down this way. And he found every rock and every weed and everything he could take out of there until the soil was absolutely perfect because he loves his lawn. It's his thing. He just loves it. Again, it's not like, oh, I have to show off. He just loves to see things grow. He just loves to do that. That's the way this farmer was, okay? That's the way he was. The soil was absolutely perfect. If he found any rocks, he built a, 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 a stone fence around the vineyard. He, he built that stone fence to protect it so that nothing could get through. And when it came time to choose the vines, he traveled through the whole country and he picked the most beautiful kind of vines that he could find in the middle of it he didn't put sometimes people will put a hut they'll put just kind of a temporary place where you can rest while while a sunny out or rest from your labors he did not do that because he wanted to live he wanted to live in his vineyard so he built a watchtower two stories the most beautiful watchtower you can imagine all right It it could sit up there on the top and he could look over his vineyard because he wanted to be with his vineyard I I don't think my brother-in-law ever slept with his car but I think he probably wanted to sometimes he just wanted to be with it all the time. This is the way he is with a, with a vineyard. He just is so dedicated. When it came time to build the wine press, I mean, it was three tiers cut out of rock. And, and you could stand on the top and press the grapes, and it would go into two different places. And it was the most beautiful place in the world. It was a labor of love. It didn't matter what it cost him. It was love. And in the first stanza of the song, Isaiah sings about the love of the farmer. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My, my dear friend, 
My friendly farmer had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He he dug it up and and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower and it came out as a, and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes. He was just so excited to see this this field, this uh, vineyard, to to do what it was created to do and to do what he had asked it to do. And, And he looked for good grapes, but here's where the story goes bad because it only yielded bad fruit. It only yielded bad fruit. And just try to get into the heart of the farmer there. I I mean, he loves so much. It's my brother-in-law, and he starts the car, and it won't start. It's my neighbor, and the grass doesn't grow. But but we know we're not talking about cars and grass and vineyards. We're talking about people. Somewhere in this song is is a person, somebody who loved and built into somebody else. You've been there. Maybe as a parent, you know what it's like. You, You build into your kids. You build into your kids, and, 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 and you want to bless them. And it's not like, you got to protect my name. I want to see you flourish. I want to see you become all God created you to become. And you build into your kids. And if they walk away from you, if they betray you, the pain that you feel, it's just like, what, what did I do wrong? How, how could this have happened? What, what did I do? Where did I blow it? Or, or if you've ever helped somebody... Maybe you've helped somebody who was in need. Maybe you gave them a job. Maybe you, you helped them with a house payment, whatever it was. Maybe you let them live with you for a time. But, but you've done that before. You've built into somebody else. You cared about them. And, and you took chances that you shouldn't have taken. And then they steal from you. They, they steal from you. That's what this farmer is like. How could you do this to me? I, I, I did everything. I absolutely could for you. Think of how you feel about that doctor who finishes medical school and all of his residencies, and, and, and the year after he's done at 32 years old, he dumps his 32-year-old wife and marries the 20-year-old nurse. We have a word for that. It's a scumbag, right? I mean, who does that kind of stuff? She has built into you, and she has carried you through, and now you just walk away. That's what's going on in this story. That's what's happening. And in the second stanza, Isaiah gives the voice to to the farmer himself, okay? And, and, And the farmer, his friend, asks the questions that if you have ever... I almost guarantee you, the questions that you have asked, if you've ever been a parent who, let's say, gets a call from the police about one of your children... As you drive down to the jail, if you are like me, you will ask, did I fail? Was this my fault? Was there something else I should have done? Isaiah 5, 3 and 4, now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad fruit? The farmer said, why why, why did this happen? Now, you and I are not perfect parents. We are not perfect helpers, but this is a perfect farmer. And and it shouldn't have gone this way. And it just breaks his heart to say, how could you do this to me? And and in the next stanza, the farmer does what I've done in that kind of a situation. The the, the farmer friend declares, okay, I'm going to give my vineyard what it wants. I'm going to give my vineyard what it wants. I'm not going to enable it anymore. If you've got, a, again, a child who's an alcoholic, at some point you say, you know what, have it your way. 
I can't control you. You're going to do this. You go ahead and do it. And, and, and you say, but you're going to just do it on your own. I'm not going to help you anymore with this. I'm going to pull back my hands of protection. I'm going to pull back and just say the natural consequences are going to flow. And, and that's what the farmer says. He says, look, I didn't do anything wrong. I gave my vineyard everything I could give it. Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. And, and, and look at this. Because what the, what, what the farmer does is just pulls back all the gifts. The farmer doesn't, in a sense, actively destroy the, the, the vineyard at all. The farmer just pull back to, pulls back his protection. I, I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls, and it will be trampled. Vineyard, you know, you think you don't need my protection. You think you can do this on your own. Fine, I'll pull back, and let's just see how you do with the foxes running through you. Let's just see how you do with the other animals running through you. Let's just see how you do on your own. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. You know, again, actively, I will make it a wasteland, but how does he do it? By just stopping caring for it, by just letting it become its natural consequences, and, and it is something that is so hard to let happen, but is sometimes so absolutely necessary. And the farmer says, I will not water it anymore. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. And, and the celebration isn't quite as happy right now. <laughs> I mean, a sad story, and, and, and the people are angry. Again, if you, think about, if you think about that doctor who dumps his wife to marry the 20-year-old, if you think about the kid whose parents have just loved them as best they could, who walks away from it all, you kind of say, you get it. You deserve what you're going to, you, you deserve everything that you're coming your way. When your life falls apart, that, that's, that's exactly what you deserve. And Isaiah's brought us to the place where there's only one possible conclusion. It's the right thing for the farmer to do. But now he's going to turn everything really upside down. And, and this is where we have to kind of get to. At this point, I'm really mad along with the farmer at the vineyard. I'm really mad at his children. I'm really mad. Whatever it is, I'm really mad about it. But in stanza four, Isaiah declares something you maybe already figured out. He looks at the people and he says, you are the vineyard. And God is the brokenhearted farmer. And he's talking to Judah, and he's talking to you, and he's talking to me. I don't like to think of myself that way. I don't like to think of my sin that way. I, I don't like to imagine that. But what Isaiah wants us to know is that in creation and in the establishment of Israel and in the establishment of our lives, God poured so much love. God loves you so much. God loves me so much. He, he, he was absolutely, it was a labor of love. Daniel talked about that, and, and about God forming us in the womb. Can you imagine how much love God put into you as he formed you, as he, as he made your heart, as he made your ribs, as he made your toes, as he made your fingernails, as God formed you, it was an absolute labor of love. He did not create you so that you could just serve him. He created you so that you could flourish. He created Israel so Israel could flourish. He created everything that way. And you know what we have done? He said, God, I don't want to do it your way. I don't want to listen to you. I don't need you. And it breaks God's heart. I don't often enough think of my sin that way. You know, when I think of my sin, quite often, and, and there's, this is part of it, but when I think of my sin, quite often what I think about is all the damage it does to me. I, I look back at the series we just did on, on fatal attractions, and, and we talked about the, the pain of sin. 90% of what I talked about was the pain it causes myself, right? The lust damages me, and greed destroys me, and it robs my joy, and vainglory takes away my peace. 
But Isaiah says something else happens that's maybe even more important. Yeah, I'll just say it is more important. When I sin, it breaks God's heart. When I sin, when I sin, it just absolutely destroys God's heart. And it just tears him apart. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice. But he saw bloodshed for righteousness. But he heard cries of distress. Isaiah says, you know what? God created us. And, and, and here specifically with Israel, God formed us, brought us to the safe place, protected us, provided for us. And what have we done? We haven't loved. We haven't served. We've done it our own way. And, and, and God is, is just going to say, fine, then have it your way. And, and, and it's like Isaiah just starts to fire off guns with the rest of this chapter. Let me just give you a flavor of it. Woe to you who had house to house and joined field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. And he's talking here about greed, about taking more than our fair share, about, about saying, no, I need a bigger house and I don't care who it costs. I need more. And, and in, that, in, in that time, you know, people just, if they didn't have land, they didn't have live, a place to live. And, and, and I say, this is, God gave you stuff with enough for everybody and you don't dare live with open hands and you break his heart. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine, drunkenness. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and trembles and wine, timbrels and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of, of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. This self-indulgence, this overindulgence, It breaks God's heart. God didn't create us to be drunken fools. To have a glass of wine is joy. To get drunk is breaking God's heart. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness is with carts of uh, 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 is with cart ropes. It, it's manipulation, so that we can look good on the outside, but we're pulling the strings underneath. It, it's manipulation that tears others apart, and and I do that. So that I can look good and I don't care how you look. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Who lie and who turn everything upside down. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine. You know, we don't care much about drinking, do we? Isaiah did. And champions at mixing drinks who acquit the guilty for a bribe but to deny justice to the innocent. It's a self-centeredness that doesn't care about anybody else. It is a self-centeredness that doesn't care about anybody else. And I think what we need to recognize is that our sin breaks God's heart. What I really want to challenge you to think about is to see God and how much he loves you. It, it, to just understand that God is a broken-hearted farmer because of the words that you've said, because of the things that you've done, because of the things I haven't done, because of the things I haven't said. And it breaks God's heart. And Isaiah says, God's going to get to the place where he says, have it your way. Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay and their flowers blow away like dust. For they have rejected the Lord, law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. And so God is going to say, I will pull back my hand of protection. And that's what he does literally with Israel. That's what he does literally with Judah. And that's what he will do literally with us. 
He, God, lifts up a banner for the distant nations, Assyria. He whistles for those at the end of the earth. Here they come swiftly and speedily. And we talked about this last week with TP3, Tiglath-Pleaser III, taking over in Assyria. And he took over and he expanded and he brought it this way. And what Isaiah says is, you know, because... Because we have told God we don't need him. Because we have told God we want to do it our way. Because we told God we know better. What God is going to do is just say, fine, have it your way. And he's going to break down that wall, right? And, and, and the armies of Assyria are going to come. And they're going to take Israel. And they're going to bring her over and just swallow her up. And it will be a day of darkness. In that day, they, Assyria, will roar over it, Judah, like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks at the land, there's only darkness and distress. Even the sun will be darkened by clouds. That's, that's, that's what you deserve. It's what I deserve. That's the story. I, I mean, the fact of the matter is, that's who God is. He is someone who loved you so much. And who has given you so much. And who has given me so much. And I don't trust him enough to tell the truth. And I don't trust him enough to live with open hands and share whatever he gave me. I, I know a few people whose homes are wide open because they say it's God's house. Mine isn't as open as it should be. And God says, Ron, you want your world, you can have it. God says, have it your way. And there's every reason for the story to end there. It's the end of chapter 5. It's the end of chapter 5, and, and what Isaiah does in 6 is completely different. So at one level, it ends the story, but it is not ultimately the end of the story. And, and this is, again, where Isaiah sets us up so much for Christmas, for Advent, for the coming of Jesus Christ. Because it's not the end of the story, because the heart, the, 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 God still loves his vineyard, the farmer still cares about his vineyard, and, 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 and Assyria is going to come. But ultimately, God's going to say, I cannot let my vineyard go. I cannot let you go. God loves you that much. He loves you absolutely that much. And he's going to save his vineyard. But he's not going to do it by stopping Assyria. We're going to talk about justice and judgment next week. And so God's not one who says, well, I'll get out of this. by I'll just stop Assyria and I'll just try again. No, justice has to happen. Punishment must come. And so what the farmer does is the farmer sends his son so that when those walls break down, it's Jesus who gets what I deserve. It's Jesus who takes all that pain. I don't know if you noticed this. It, it struck me, but in that last verse, if one looks at the land, there's only darkness and distress. On the day of judgment, even the sun will be darkened by clouds. And as I, as I read that, I thought, Luke tells me something about this. Luke tells me something about this when Jesus is on the cross. Do you remember what happened at noon on that day? Do you remember what happened? It was now about the sixth hour, that's noon, and, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured. That's the day of judgment right there. That's when God pulled his hand back and said, pay the price. That's when God said, I, I will let all of it happen right now. And he poured it out on his son, Jesus Christ. All of, the, all of the judgment, all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the anger, all of the spitting that we've done in God's face. And if it doesn't make you just stop and say, Jesus, how in the world, why did you come? 
I mean, Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born so that he could somehow stand there and, and take all of the darkness for those three hours and all of the punishment. And the farmer saves his vineyard but loses his son to get him back again. That's how much he loves you. And that's why Isaiah points us again and again to Jesus. Because in the son of the broken hearted farmer, we find forgiveness. You've broken God's heart. And so have I. It changed me this week to think about my sin that way. See, if my sin only hurts me, then I can say, well, I'll pay the price. But if my sin is breaking God's heart, how can I do that to him? How can I do that to him? And even when I do, he doesn't stop loving me. He is the Holy One. And we need to tell our kids about that. For those of you who had kids baptized, God is absolutely holy. But tell him as well that he's brokenhearted. And, and let him know how much he loves them. And how far he was go, willing to go to save them. Let's pray together. Father, we don't, uh, we don't necessarily like to think that we break your heart. We're really sensitive when others have broken our hearts. Some of us right now can think of those times. We can name the names of the child, the person, the employee, whoever it was who took advantage of us. We can't imagine that we actually did that to you. And so forgive us, Father breaking your heart and teach us to dare to trust your heart even when we can't see your hands we pray this in jesus name amen Will you please stand for god's parting word of benediction once again there are going to be some people from hillside there in the prayer room if you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody and again if you can give us a word of thanksgiving we're going to read those off at our thanksgiving service so if you can help us out with that uh, that would be wonderful People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we know that the brokenhearted farmer will not let us go. Go in God's grace. Amen.